G'day, this is Rick Mirabella, head coach at Runners. You're listening to Runners Radio. Let's kick now. G'day and welcome to episode one of Runners Radio. I am Rick Mirabella, your host and head coach here at Runners, right here in Bayside, Melbourne, and worldwide for our Runners virtual app. Now, this podcast is all about telling the stories of some of the great everyday and some elite athletes as well. We train here in Melbourne and all around Australia. But to be honest, technology isn't one of my things. I'm a battler at the very best. So I've recruited one of our own members to help me out on this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the media mogul, the Twitter sensation that is <laughs> Mick Sharkey. Rick, how are you, mate? It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you on the inaugural Runners Radio podcast, mate. Like uh, like Big Kev used to say, I'm bloody excited. Or even used to say bloody, but you know what I mean. Oh, he, he was he was excited, Big Kev. I, um, I, he was an icon of Australian TV. He now, was. Now, Shark, I love you, mate, and um, a lot of our members love you here. And look, 22 of his, 1,000 of his closest friends on Twitter love him as well. But there'll be many people... Like, on that 22,000. I've got to add, add a little bit of mayo, but i tell you what, um, Shark, in podcast land, people might not know who you are, buddy. So just for the episode number one, we're not going to um, bathe in our own bath water for the, the next few episodes, mate, but we will have a little bit of Q&A about, about bit yourself, of me mate. A bit of okay. me time about yeah. you, mate. So, buddy, what do you do for work and how old are you currently, mate? Mate, I'm currently 35, despite the fact that my hair is more grey than than black, the shade it, it, it Is it true was. that you do sometimes get mistaken for a 45 to 50? Yeah, yeah, look, a couple of people here at Runners have guessed my age at around early 40s and, and then sort of said, oh, you know, you don't look any older than 42, which is great if I was 45, but sadly I'm 10 years younger. So, mm. yeah, mate, I'm, I'm 35. I, for work-wise, look, I guess you could say I'm bit of an entrepreneur i work predominantly in horse racing in media and and buying and selling horses so we've got a couple of little projects here and there that we do for yeah you've got to keep the juices flowing don't you that's correct he's on a very popular television show every saturday morning here uh, on racing.com so yeah. he is a bit of a media people mogul watch well. it. Yeah, i made 11 last week <laughs> but, mate kids wife wives three kids three girls um all six and under that's so good boy. fun. Not bad for a 48-year-old. Keeps him on his toes. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, three three girls and, yes, one wife, uh, fortuitously. I hope to keep it that way. Uh, but, yes, mate, I'm the Lord Mayor as the uh, the one man in a, in a house full of pink and purple and, and rainbow. Yeah, mate, this is um, – how long a member here at Runners HQ in Melbourne? Oh, I reckon it would have to be around six years, I reckon. It'd be something around that mark. Your athletic prowess before – Runners and distance running. I I think I officially hold the title as the worst player ever to play VFL football. I, I managed to get to that state level, which was fantastic, but I was bloody awful, to be honest, and ended up playing at about eight different clubs around country Victoria and, and whatnot after that. So a bit of a journeyman, a hack journeyman. Oh, you might be being a little bit humble there, mate, to make the VFL. You've, you've got to be doing something right in the first place. Now, a couple of real quick ones, and then we'll get into it. How often do you train here in HQ, and uh, what time of day, just for the listeners, do you do your finest work? Uh, since you've got me moving again without being crippled, probably able to train probably four or five times a week, I reckon, which is, is really good for me because I was a bit of a wreck after footy and not a lot of exercise for a few years. And I like the early mornings, mate. 
6.15 is my go in here, unless the snapper abiding, in which case I'll be on the boat. On the boat, he's, which is quite often 6.15 is nearly lunchtime. But that's he, it, mate. Yeah, that's sleeping. It. So no. you go, that's me in a nutshell. I reckon we're done Austin there. Powers once said. That's, uh, I reckon we're done there, Mick. That's a nice base. Look, the, he is, like I said, we won't, it won't be about us, but we just need to get this kind of stuff out of the way in episode one. He's a he's a great man, Mick. He's, he's really good to have in the uh, in the headquarters when we've got 50 or 60 athletes coming through. And he, I really work off him and work off his energy as the head coach in here. So he's great to have, and he is very humble as well, even though he does like to... Um, Elaborate sometimes now, shark. <laughs> now, shark. Put very kindly, shark. Are we ever at any danger just to get you doing some form of fun run at all? No, ever. No, no. Run, running is not running is not fun for me. It is a necessity <laughs> because on. I like to eat and drink. It it just keeps the body in. Homeostasis. He's got yeah, a fair. That's old, what I do. I uh, just keep it in balance. Fair old dad bod at the moment, but no, he's, he's looking <laughs> okay. He's looking okay at the I'm moment. I'm going to maintain it too. As I look across the desk from him, though, great. That's fantastic, Mick. Now, Shaggy. tell me before we move on, we mm-hmm. can get stuck into. I know you, you, you're very keen to talk about the, uh, the the world of athletics before we get into our interview for the week. But for those that don't know, and look, a lot of the people listening will be friends and family of the runners family at the moment. But just tell us a little bit about runners. What what is it exactly? Is it a club? Is it a crew? Is it a gang? A posse? Oh, it's been probably vigilantes been described as all of those things probably over the over the journey um, Mick Sharkey but uh, the start of 2007 we started up the company runners due to the fact that it's a high performance I guess the, the best way to describe it in Melbourne here is a high performance centre for everybody mm. so from runners from 800 metres to the ultra marathon 160k we've got many Ironmen triathletes half Ironmen Lots of AFL, VFL footballers and lots of local footballers as well. So, And along with those comes many different athletes that just need to train for mental health, physical health and just love the community here. Very simply, I brought it indoors at the start of 2007 because the track, uh, middle distance, long distance coaching is my background. The track was just too hard to train 30 general population athletes all at different paces. Too busy and the key to performance is continuity and... The performance wasn't there because you get the real spiky end, the elite guys doing really well, but just due to different paces and inclement conditions, and more importantly, different paces and personalities, the track just wasn't working. So I brought it indoors, and we, by about 10 years, I think, were the first indoor running club on treadmills. So that 10 years it took for a, a mob in New York to... To, um, to follow us 10 years later. So really exciting that. Now, the physiology and the science of it all is middle distance, long distance running. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of the longer stuff outside, but the quality and the, the fartlek, the VO2 stuff, the hills and the speed endurance are done indoors. So we can all run together. There's 30 of us yeah. running together and 17-year-olds next to 75-year-olds, and I think that's what we've done really well, mate. So Such a good thing about it, and over the six years where I've noticed it and you say the high performance stuff and I think when people hear high performance they immediately get scared thinking oh I have to be a triathlon or a superstar or whatever else but what you've managed to do is I guess give high performance a context where it's what is high performance for each individual Correct. What just doing the best you can possibly do and mm. performing to the peak level that you can whether that's a triathlon whether it's a 5k fun run once a year whether it's just being fit and healthy, as you say, we've got some people here in their 70s that are just doing it to keep ticking along. And 
and they bloody love it. And and absolutely, and mental health is the biggest thing, that, probably the biggest reason we all get out of bed and, and move for. But I guess I take the thinking out of it. I control the science. I control yeah. the structure. I control the humour. Sometimes that's, av- that's average. <laughs> you control the music too, which I control is bloody music, awful a lot of the time. 80% of people like. Sharky doesn't like it, but I... One day I, I'm going to take over and I it's just going to be pirate radio. Sharky thinks he's from Harlem, I'm convinced. There's <laughs> some of the tunes he listens to. But that's what I control for them. And that's why a lot of people that start continue to get better, but they get better authentically. So what we mean by that is they're not forcing the issue. Mm. It's sustained longevity and they can continue to get better over the next decades. I say someone, you want to improve as a 510K guy or a marathoner or just as a human being or your organism as a human, you give me a decade. If they if they take the decade, believe me, they're always a much better athlete. And the, and the thing is they can enjoy the byproducts of aesthetically feeling and looking better energy wise productivity clarity of mind and all these things that go along with it on their journey so they learn to love the process and love love every day yeah. about becoming a better athlete yeah, and just a better version of themselves it's a great philosophy and it, and it really works well and, and you can see that every day in here and 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 throughout the network that uses uh, runners virtual as well uh, as we sort of said bit of background bit of a scene setter mm-hmm. in episode one but I, I love how you've built this podcast concept around interviews with ordinary people, whether it's members here or, or people that you know that, that are doing extraordinary things in whatever pursuit it is that they've got in their in their sort of athletic life, I guess, whether it's running or triathlon or swimming or footy or, or whatever it is. And we're going to start one of those interviews today, but that's something you're big on as well, isn't it? That you know, using using people that you can relate to as inspiration. Absolutely, because I think if you're listening to this on your commute or it could be a long run or your cycle or you're driving to work or just you, you're at home chilling out, I feel like there's so many people that have got beautiful stories to tell and they've done some pretty amazing things and you walk past them in the street or you walk past them in a, in a centre like ours and, and they'll say g'day and you'll wave and you might high-five each other, but you wouldn't have a clue about their journey and I feel like um, there's a there's a lot to give there. And if we can inspire, motivate and educate um, you listeners at home, I believe that we'll come a long way into, into achieving what we want to achieve. And some of these people have got amazing stories and they've done some phenomenal things and you wouldn't have a clue if you walked past them, which is pretty cool. Now, before we get into the, the first of the interviews mm-hmm. that, that we're going to do, you have been banging on all week about the Diamond League. Now... I'm vaguely familiar with the Diamond League as being the sort of world elite athletics track and field competition. Like it's been, it was in Australia over summer, wasn't it? I think it's been in Melbourne before. There was an athletics meet in Australia. It wasn't I'm, the Diamond a, League, I'm was a clear it? novice in this area, but it does travel around a bit, doesn't it? it Through does Europe and, and wherever else. Yeah, so we want to make a, a couple of minute segment as a rule about any form of what's happening in, in sport for just for two or three minutes, just to touch base and, and, and fill people in about the week in sport, predominantly endurance sport. But this this relates because if, you, if you're a park runner, if you do 5K, you want to know what the best in the world are doing as yeah, well. Absolutely. Because our interview is about everyday people that have done extraordinary things. We have got some elites in here as well. But these Diamond League results are from the week gone. And at the moment, that's all everyone's talking about. I've been waxing lyrical about the 800 metre time, which you would have heard me talk about this week, Mick. Oh, it kept me up at night, Rick, waiting for the results from the uh, the 800 metres, I've got to say. Now, this is Monaco and London, the Diamond League, yeah? Yes, it was, mate, okay. over the weekend. So what that, happened in the 800? He could not contain his excitement. I couldn't. I, I, was, I was literally... 
if only on fever sar- pitch. If only sarcasm could be seen through the podcast, <laughs> Mick. Joseph Deng broke a 50-year-old national record. Now, let us Aussies just absolutely bathe in this. Ralph Tubal, a very prestigious name in athletics, 800-metre. It was originally the world record and then the national record from 1968 to 2018, held it for 50, 50 years. years. It was the oldest national record. It got touched on a few times, got close to being broken. Alexander Rowe equaled it. And then Joseph Deng, young 20-year-old from Queensland. Dengy. He went 144-21 on the weekend to break that record. And now uh, the world is his oyster, Dengy. Justin Rinaldi is a great coach. He's actually from Melbourne. Rinaldi coaches Deng and Peter Bowl, two of the great 800-metre runners. And I reckon... You are a betting man, Mick Sharkey. You want to be all over Joseph Deng over the next five to ten years on the main, on the main stage, buddy, in the 800. Uh, he smashed that record too, 144.21. So he's taken what? Or I don't know exactly what that is. Nearly 0.2 of a second. But that's, you know, that's a, a fair margin, isn't it? It is a lot. And look, it was a quick, it was a very quick weekend. I'm not going to bore you with Dengie. all the results. We wanted to talk about Dengie and just the notable efforts. The steeplechase. Now, young Beatrice Chipriget. She has absolutely blitzed him now. I know, Household name. I know, I know, Mick, that you really are you're a big follower of Beatrice. Look, I wouldn't say number one fan. I think that title goes to her, her parents, but I'd definitely be top five. I know um, just remind me what country she's from. She's from Ethiopia, buddy. Right. And I'll tell you yeah. what, she has been fair. Eight seconds off the world record. Now, taking point eight off the world record. Sorry, is, eight seconds. Mm-hmm. That's remarkable. She brained him. It was like an under. She brained. It, it was, was like winks. It was like winks. The 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 mayor. Now it was like an under sixteen running against an under ten. She won wow. the three thousand meter steeple by a lazy one hundred and fifty meters. On that note, the steeplechase. You aware? Yeah, pretty. Yes, pretty well, I, with the I imagine they're jumping some sort of steeple type contraptions. Possibly, do we have sort of rogue elements like water jumps and things like that as well? There is some water. Is there really? They do have to land. I need in water to start mid- tuning into this diamond league. Business. I think I think you will be quite fascinated. Is there like a multi-ball aspect where they just sort of roll in more obstacles, or perhaps you know some guy in a suit chasing them? Or no, no, not not tomorrow. Right, okay, there yeah, might we'll be. Let's moving. just continue <laughs> on. Now the tactical five thousand back on our Aussies. Now Paul Chalimo, who's a USA runner, formerly of Kenya, fantastic thirteen fourteen. Uh, 5k time in the very tactical event that was the 5000 he beat the world champion the reigning world champion Mukhtar Edris who just nosed him out Chilemo the two Aussies this is the big one for us mm-hmm. Stewie McSween 13-20 now Stewie's got a big potential to beat Buster Mottram's national record of 12.55 over the next five years mm-hmm. another black booker for you there Shark okay. and Paddy Tiernan the Queenslander oh, went 13 got to be Irish that boy He's a Queenslander, but I'm sure he's of Irish descent. Now, that 5K was run ridiculously slow early, so they really kicked home in the last mile. And the last one I want to mention before we get into our guest today is the, the mile and the mile for the women, which is Lyndon Hall. She went another national record. What a fast weekend it was, Mick. A fast weekend of running. Lyndon Hall, who's a young Aussie, she ran 4.21 to break the Australian mile record. Now, they've been running miles on the track, Mick, since Moses was a boy. So the mile is really prestigious. Now, Lyndon Hall, she's got a big future. She's only in her early 20s as well. So keep a lookout for her and another one, Daddy Mick Sharkey's Black Book. Now, the thing I love about that athletics rap, Rick, is that the whole time we were talking about Dengi and Lyndon Hall and mm-hmm. old love uh, Kip, Kipricic, mm. we've been sitting here in relaxed attire sucking down 
frosty cold Carlton drafts. Well, I think I, that's just brilliant. I think, and we're actually aiming at it. Isn't that, isn't that the, draft. we are, well, any alcohol sponsor, or not alcohol, but beverage sponsor, let's say, because we're not, you know, if somebody, if a juice company wants to sponsor mm. the podcast, bring it on. Bring it on. We're not adverse to any sponsorship, really. We are open but for business. Carlton draft would be, would be one of our preferences. I think life's about balance, Mick. They we, are. We yeah. trained hard this morning. We're going to have a couple of frothies and talk about what's happened in the week in sport. And to be honest, that's actually what the segment's called, is having a beer with. But this lady that's ahead of us, Mick, now, you know her. You train, well, you've seen her around in the gym. I have, yeah. Ash Fraser, absolutely. Well, you can't miss her. She's a rather tall lass, isn't she? What, would you say we're in the redhead department there or that sort of strawberry blonde? Strawberry blonde. But she'd be six foot. She'd have to be six foot three. She's six foot three. She towers over me, which isn't hard to do, ladies and, and gentlemen. Just looks an athlete too. She's a she? very, very good athlete. Now, Ashlyn Fraser, I tell you what, Ashley's. She's a PhD in exercise physiology. She's one of the best lecturers here in Melbourne. Is she really a doctor yeah. and a lecturer? Exercise what? physiology. She's got a PhD. She I did fix. not know that. Yep, she's a very intelligent girl. She's a lecturer at Monash Uni. She's done it all in academic sense. She's also one of the more elite distance swimmers. She's from the English Channel. I don't well, want to that give makes c- sense. Uh, she's very well, she's very well um, set up physically to be a swimmer. But I tell you what, she is. She's a VO two freak. Okay. She, she she can consume and use more than most athletes' oxygen, and she is unbelievable. But I'll let her fill you in on on her training and some of her work. She's coming back from a very serious injury. She's been with us for over a year now, and she's got lots to offer. So I reckon, what do you reckon we get stuck into oh, it? Absolutely, I can't wait. I'm, I'm hanging out to learn a bit more about Ash and uh, keen to hear her story. Today we're having a beer with one of the great distance swimmers the nation's seen. She's from the English Channel. She's from the Rottnest Channel Swim, 20K of the toughest conditions you'll ever see, solo. She's a PhD in neurophysiology. She's a lecturer at Monash Uni here in Melbourne. She is one of the greats, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Ashlyn Fraser. Welcome, Ash. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Do you like that intro? I love it. <laughs> She's um, one of the more humble people you'll see. <laughs> Listeners, now, Fraser, before we delve too deep, just what are you doing as we speak right now? And then I want to go deep into the story that is Ashlyn Fraser. <laughs> um, so probably at the moment, um, work-wise, as you said, I'm at Monash University, so... I'm in the Department of Physiotherapy, but I'm actually teaching all the physiology, so to first and second years. Um, and I'm there part-time, which is great for me because then I get to do, obviously, some of my own training, um, which is mainly sort of involving at the moment swimming and being at runners. Fantastic. Now, the listeners might think we are a runners podcast, the runners radio, 12 years of running science, but Ashlyn, being a swimmer, what is she doing on here now? Phrase came to us about 12 months ago for a bit of an S&C program and just a bit of conditioning as well due to the fact she was had a horrendous injury. Can you delve into that a little bit more for us as well, buddy? Yeah, definitely. So to be honest, before, um, I don't know, a year ago, I'd probably never done any running or strength and conditioning in my life. Um, so about a, over a year ago, um, I had really bad trauma to my elbow or actually dislodged my um, ulnar nerve. Um, which resulted in having sort of major elbow surgery, um, which meant, sadly for me, I was out of the pool for nearly six months. So I came to Rick, and I must admit, <laughs> he saved my life. I think he saved me mentally from going insane. Um, 
And before I knew it, I actually was really enjoying myself um, running and doing strength and conditioning, can you believe? Do you want to maybe tell the listeners about your, your running technique to begin with, especially on a treadmill, no less? <laughs> my running technique at the beginning, so I had a massive brace on my arm, which weighed a couple of kilos, um, which restricted my arm basically not to move. So I think I was very lopsided. Um, I'm sure I got some vision of that somewhere. <laughs> I might dig it up and pin it on the show notes. Not to mention, I don't think I really have a very good running style either. So It's improved out of sight. But for an elite <laughs> distance swimmer, she was fantastic. And the strength side of it, so the general running side of it was just to add some conditioning as Shelley brings in a hot chocolate for Fraze. We'll get to that. We'll get to why she's having hot chocolate later. Thanks, Timsy. Um, the S&C side of it was really important for her as a general rule uh, ongoing as a swimmer because um, she'd never – her great swimming coach, we can touch on Gussie. Yeah, Gus. Yeah. We can we can talk about Gus later, but um, that's going to help her ongoing, and she's continued that on. But the running side of it, just being out of the pool, we're able to keep those physiological factors that we needed to keep at a reasonable level. So when she was to return to the pool, she could certainly um, pick up almost where she left off. So it's been she's been a pleasure to have in this joint in the last twelve months, and she certainly um, has achieved so much that we'll talk about later. And the, thing, the reason I wanted to get people like Fraser on here is because she walks around at 6am with a big smile on her face and 25 people she trains with every day would not have a clue what she's actually achieved. So I think it's beautiful to get these stories out there and hopefully it inspires you guys to have a bit of a crack at something and we're going to get stuck into that in a minute. But we mentioned, I mentioned in the intro about Fraser, what she's done in her life. That's only the, the tip of the iceberg. So... She's 27 years of age currently, okay, so just get a grip on that first. Let's take us right back to the, in Elwood, Melbourne here, the childhood of Fraze. Where did it all begin and how did this ridiculous elite swimming career commence? <laughs> um, so probably definitely primary school, um, really what was I known for just being uncoordinated, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, so probably the pool was where I was <laughs> meant to be. <laughs> Uh, I did I did enjoy sort of you know other team sports and running but it certainly was not where my skills um lied to be honest you found you found one of your strengths uh ball sports not your go back then not really no no and I didn't really have the height at that stage either so I was pretty much useless on on any team for those not we might have mentioned it in the intro but I am a dwarf uh, a little rover. Ashlyn's, we said 6'4 in the intro. No, I'm just That's over 6'4". Not even close. Maybe Mick Sharkey took some artistic license on that one. Not like Shark to do that. So, uh, six foot now. Yeah. And high, primary school took a little bit to grow. Yeah, no, I actually was pretty much, well, I was the shortest um, in my year level until year nine. There you go. Yeah, that's so it a, took until about 14 years of age to finally... Um, grow some limbs. <laughs> Long limbs. Long limbs, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. I was very much a little runt, to be <laughs> honest. Um, and really from there, I guess, growing the long limbs is probably where I really leapt into swimming because, you know, long limbs is one of the things that you definitely need for distance swimming. Especially over that distance. But you, you, your physiological traits are amazing, but a lot of that's come from hard work. So it's hard to know... Nature versus nurture, I guess, with you. Now, on that factor as a youngster, many miles in the pool? or So what, when, what age did you start really ramping up the miles? So probably from age of 13, I made my first national squad. What um, distance? Uh, for That was 5K. Wow. Um, and that was, I guess, the beginning really of hardcore training. So at that stage, I was with 
sort of more old school coaches, the mentality of, you know, 10 sessions a week, you know, minimum 6K, so double sessions, so 12K a day. Um, so certainly from my perspective, once I hit that 13, you know, to do an 80K week wouldn't be unheard of. That is unbelievable. So all in the pool as a general rule? All in the pool, certainly. We we did a little bit of running, um, not that I not that I really did much of it, but there was some running training. But what about bay bay swims or ocean swims? That um, was the races, yeah. Nah, yeah, we mainly just stuck in the pool. It was all about kilometres. That's unbelievable. Eighty yeah. k in the water for you runners and triathletes listening. It has to equate just off the top of my head. I actually didn't know that, but thirty three to four hundred k running it would equate to, which is unbelievable. Most of the elites do too, 200 a week at the very top end, like 120 to 200k a week. So phenomenal for a 13-year-old girl in year seven to be tipping those kind of miles. Probably a bit crazy as well, though, looking back. Mentally, <laughs> you must be – like I've um, I've looked obviously quite closely at Ash over the last 12 months and it's just so mentally tough. But I think what makes her so great, without jumping ahead too much, is the attitude – She's just so nonchalant about about it, and it's but that that's what makes great athletes. And she keeps a very she for someone so intelligent and so mentally tough. She's just so laid back all the time. Which I think we, if I get if you guys get one thing out of this story today, it's about that. I want to delve into that later. But so Elwood, you're 13. You're at high school. What school? Um, I was at Shelford Grammar. Is that a private school? Um, it is now. Not anymore. Uh, no, it, was, it was, wasn't, wasn't there, yeah, okay. It now, yeah. So swimming, and you found, you, you go, okay, I'm pretty good at this sport. And as we start to think in high school, we go towards what we're good at. Um, your strength was 5K and above in the water? Yep. So I pretty much quickly worked out that the 50-meter sprint wasn't really my forte. I could, I could get there and not do too bad a time, but I just, you know, I didn't, or I didn't have it in me, but I also didn't enjoy it, to be honest. I know it sounds silly, but... 30 seconds in the pool just seemed like such a waste of time to then train 10 times a week. Like yeah. it didn't equate. I totally, I totally understand <laughs> in my brain that. Either. It helps when you're so, when you know that, I think at that young age especially, that you can really experiment with just how good you can be. And you, when you can see yourself going past other competitors mm. at the 2,000, 3,000 metre mark, excuse my ignorance, the 5K is obviously in the open water. Is fifteen hundred in the pool, eight hundred in the pool for females. Is it go eight hundred to five thousand? Is that is that is there anything in between? No. So, um, which was certainly, I guess, a massive jump as well. Eight hundred was the longest I could sort of compete at a state or a national level. Disappointing um, that. Is yeah. that changed yet? No. So you can do fifteen hundred now at like sort of a junior level, but once you're moving into sort of any um, teams. There's still no 15. Outrageous. Per. So at Olympic level, clearly 800 metres. We think as Australians, we think of Hayley Lewis, no doubt, 1990 yeah. Com Games. And then you got you got 800 and then there's a big gap and then there's you the distance machines. So 5,000 open water, 10,000 open water. Yeah. What did you prefer growing up in high school? Um, probably the 10K, to be honest. I really, for me, swimming's all about a rhythm and I used to sort of really go to a different place it's a sort of a difficult thing to like explain and often people think you know how can you be just swimming for two hours straight but the longer it was the better I got that is a beautiful thing we're actually filming upstairs at HQ in the in the meditation room called above the shoulders at runners so that resonates with with me and, and with hopefully lots of our listeners because it's so psychological this great game of ours and me and you are both in physiology but I love the psychological thing. And for you to say the bet, the longer it goes, the better we get. We've got plenty of runners listening to this podcast that are exactly the same on the road or 
or in the trails. So I don't think we're, we're too out of that depth there. I think they can get it. I think they can resonate with that. 10K, how long, we, what was your PB over 10K in the... So 10K... Um, I, I know it varies with channels and... Maybe gone. about a bit over two hours, so maybe two hours, 10. Phenomenal. Open water. Now, tell me about... Tell me about high school, getting towards VCE, clearly clearly knowing you're probably going to be involved in physiology, yes, in some capacity. Where where do you go? So you're 11, year 12, you're getting towards the peak of your powers, you're starting to swim strong. Yeah, so really um, year nine was probably, I guess, the turning point for me. Um, that was when I was starting to make good places in nationals um, and also in year 10. Um, once I actually got to year 11, year 12, um, it was sort of a sticking point in the sense of um, I love swimming, can I swim, you know, potentially as a job, is that realistic? Open water swimming, definitely not. You're not going to make any amount of money for how much training you have to put in. But, you know, at that age, I guess, being naive. But um, I reckon, to be honest, swimming through VCA gave me a really good balance. So it's probably where I've got... Well, the beginning of my perspective of what's important um, and for me I don't know people always talk about sort of priorities and and you know what's important to them but I, I really think it's different for everybody and you have to be happy with how you sort of place your priorities so for me at school swimming probably <laughs> was the top priority and it and that did bother <laughs> a lot of people um, especially when you know you get that discussion of what job are you going to have, what career, how you're going to make money, etc. But I always think things work out, and they have for me. That's yeah, unbelievable. When you hear that, I actually didn't know that either, Ashton. Like to hear that and just think you're such an academic, but she, it does make a lot of sense now in hearing that because she is so laid back. She's got a, a beautiful family that she prioritises, and it's um it does it does make a lot of sense because some academics that are are only 27, are just so type A about their study or their or their literature or their elite swimming. But meeting Ash only a year ago and seeing how balanced and down to earth she was, it's no surprise that that, that, that just came up then. So VCE, she's just swimming is her priority. Then you go to university at Deakin, is that right? Yeah, so I actually got injured um, in year 12 through really, um, not through swimming, but more through a congenital sort of condition with my hip. So I ended up having surgery, I think about three weeks before my first VC exam, which for me was done because of swimming priorities mm. of when competitions were, but obviously um, right before your first exam is not ideal. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so moving into first year uni, um, I got into exercise and sports science at Deakin, which for me, I was thrilled about because they were like a friendly university of, of athletes. And prestigious um, in Melbourne as well to get into Deakin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At so I did a bit better on my VCE than... Um, well, to be honest, I did better than everybody else thought, but I did probably as, you know, as well as I thought I was going to go. <laughs> which is, yeah, which is probably testament to your nature as well. Like You, you obviously know you back yourself in, yeah. but you don't have to be doing the, the whole anal type A type stuff to succeed. To, to get into Deakin and exercise science, for those of you outside of Victoria, is, is bloody tough. And um, it's, uh, like, I certainly missed out. So to, to do what Fraser's done while swimming ridiculous amounts of miles and surgery 21 days <laughs> prior, I actually didn't know. I'm, I'm learning some stuff on the go as well. So 
tell me at the end of high school where where there is Olympics any in so five k in the ocean swim is there an Olympic race there back then nine years ago? No, so it first came into um, I think originally maybe. It was going to happen in 2008, but it was 2012. Okay. So at this stage, I didn't even know that it was an Olympic event. Mm-hmm. Um, the only things available at that stage were um, FINA Worlds and um, Pan Packs. Which are both pretty prestigious. Yeah, yeah. So FINA, um, I'd, I'd done the trials for, but um, the way Swimming Australia works is at that stage, they only took one swimmer, so one female and one male. Who um, went that year? Oh, Is she a household name? I think it was Kai Hurst. Yeah, I know Kai would have gone. I'm not a swimmer. And you. Melissa Gorman, I think. So both been. those names I know. And for that, me to know those names, mm-hmm. obviously I'm not a swimmer. But tell me about at that age, 18 years of age, you got Susie Maroney, you got other people like that around. Are any of those people, do you look up to any of those people? You probably know them now, I'm not sure. if. You, but are you looking at anyone? Is there anyone out there as a shining beacon for a 17-year-old Fraser to look at? Or you just did your own thing and continue to do so? To be honest, um, my role models in my life probably are role models that have nothing to do with sport. Probably more how they live their life is, is probably more what I get from, from others. Um, certainly I like to take advice from people in the swimming world because you're silly if you don't. You certainly don't know um, everything at all and I reckon that's where to get the sort of best advice is from people in that world. Um, but no, there was no, some, there was no person that I wanted to be. I liked being myself. <laughs> you're um you're starting to get an idea of the quality of person we're dealing with here. This is special stuff. That is, if there's a better quote, I might have to pin that to the notes and just all over the social networks. Not that she's on social network, Ashlyn Fraser, because <laughs> she's so grounded she doesn't need that. But I'll tell you what, that is one of the quotes you'll, the best quotes you'll hear. Tell me about at 18, 19, when you talk about that. So your parents would have been big factors there. Big yep. Eric? Yeah, so um, certainly like... Well, like most people, I wouldn't be anywhere without my family. Um, my mum and dad were very supportive, but especially my dad. Um, he was always in my corner, to be honest. And he can't even swim. He hates water. <laughs> anything but a shower. So for him, Big to, Eric. <laughs> for him to come to every single competition, <laughs> so training, beautiful. Um, was a massive commitment. And certainly, you know, every holiday had to be orientated towards water, which I'm sure he hated. Um <laughs> <laughs> but he was always there for me and, and certainly the one thing that has stuck with me um, and he, he's probably said it you know forever but he always asked me you know when things get tough his question would just be to me can you do one more stroke and the answer would always be yes so from my perspective that's really sort of what I took um, from my dad is, is little things like that and I mean most people say when they meet my dad I'm just you know the girl version of him, to be to be honest. <laughs> well, no, yeah, that's unbelievable. He say that that's goosebumps there. The one more stroke thing is so true, and on yeah, I think we need to succinct a few of these little things we're saying today because that's that's spot on. The way Ash lives her life, I feel like is half the reason, no, not more than half the reason why she has been so successful and done things that people can only dream of. But Eric's words there would be resonating with her in her ears if she's fatigued after two or three, four, five hours of swimming, and we'll get to that longer stuff in a minute, but can we do one more stroke? And that is that not the way we should all live our lives? Eric is a scientist as well. Yep. Just still yep. want to talk about him for a bit. Yeah, so um, he's also a doctor, so probably um, 
pretty much, I guess, inspired me in that sense to go that way. Um, he's sort of more in you know, organic chemistry, which is I really have no idea about. Um, Does anyone have any idea? <laughs> but I guess, you know, really from day one, he's always got me to be sort of inquisitive. Um, we'd always be doing little mini science experiments. Not that I'd know it at that age, but he always had me collecting data. Now I think about it and reporting on it um, and asking questions. And, and certainly, um, I guess that's probably really shaped really who I am today and what I do and, and how I conduct myself, to be honest. It's, it's certainly just from... Um, talking to you at 6am and um, the odd conversation about Eric he's, he sounds like a, a fantastic man I can't wait to meet him and definitely post this interview I'm going to catch up with big Eric and just have a good chat you do love that this is 17, 18 year old still you do love the cricket with dad is that your major I guess one of, apart from science and data collection and and obviously the beautiful relationship you have, cricket is revolves around that. Is that your major sport together? Yeah that's probably our major sport so we'd always make sure we go to the tests um, maybe some one days as well, um, but always in the summer was like the thing we did, whether we went you know, live or just sat down on the couch. So good. And watched it. It's beautiful to have that relationship. And I know with, with my kids, with, with the sport, it just brings you together. It doesn't, you don't have to play, just go to be able to watch the cricket mm. one, that four or five times a summer to be able to spend some quality time with Dad. I'm starting to get a bit of it now. If, listeners, if you were 16 years of age... You possibly weren't doing any cons anywhere near this much quality. And you probably think, well, what am I doing now? But this this girl can inspire you for the next 50, 60, 70 years of your life. Because 18, 19, she at Deakin University. Tell me now how you start thinking about things like the English Channel, Rotnest, all these amazing events that we'll talk about in depth. So I sort of got to, I guess, that age and... Um the 10k no longer seemed challenging so <laughs> I know people laugh Jesus at that Christ. but it just for me it suddenly was becoming um, normal which I didn't like um, and I sort of needed a, a bigger better challenge I wasn't sure though what that meant for me whether um, you know should I try and go shorter would I like that can I go longer is that possible it's a real sort of um, change in mental mind frame from a two-hour race compared to you know swimming all day um which was a, a big shift for me but it was wanting the challenge um it was a good time in my life it was when I moved um from I guess my coach that I'd been with for I don't know nearly eight years um I felt like I needed a change and and I don't know it, it looked like fun so you met Gus we're going to talk about Gus a little bit but you met Gus at the age of I didn't meet Gus until hmm, only a couple of years ago. Um, so who got you to the, when we start the channel and all that kind of preparation? Yep, so originally um, I was at um, H2O um, and there was a number of different coaches there but um, it was a club um, owned by Anita um, and I was under a coach there called Rob um, and he was sort of, I guess, the main guy that really shifted me from sort of junior, what we call junior open water swimming, um, to senior open water swimming so he sort of started to feed me the ideas that you know would it really be that hard to swim just one day in your life <laughs> sort of sort of notions <laughs> and he does and as a good coach does he put he plants a seed and continues to mature that and also feeds you with the confidence but also the tools to be able to do it we, no doubt you, you're a very mature athlete at that age for an average 21 22 year old but you you clearly 
one of the challenges as well. Like yep. you're seeking it. A 10K, if a 10K swim, if your goal isn't to take minutes off that, you feel like it's too easy or not easy, but just too normal. You want to see, just push the push the envelope. Yep. How far can I push this needle that way? And and that's, I think anyone can resonate with that, whether it's a marathon or, or just a 1500 on the track. What can I get my mile time down to? And, and I think every general population athlete, whether it's running, triathlon, swimming or team sport, wants to push the envelope and, and turn the screws and just see what we've got in us. So you get to 21, 22, you get your undergrad yep. from Burwood. Have you swum the channel yet? No. no. So then I Take that stayed off. on at Deakin and I did um, another year of study for my honours. Um, this is in exercise physiology? Yes. Yep. 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 So this is, I guess, where I began my sort of research, if you like, career. Um, but also where I began um, to um, train for the channel as well. So um, it was an interesting year because honours for, well, especially science students is quite an intensive year in the sense of, you know, you're supposed to be there 100 billion hours um, a day. <laughs> How did you cope with that as far Because there's no, lots of students, no doubt, listening. Your attitude, I really feel, can help so many young students, like honours, graduates, undergrads. Yeah, I um the thing with me and and study or anything like that is that it has to be good use of time. So I always thought to myself, if I can get like three hours of really good study time or writing time, it's much better than sitting there for eight hours. It may make you feel good that you've done eight hours of study, but if the outcome is you know pretty crappy and you've got to rewrite everything anyway, that's that's, that's so <laughs> true. And it's, someone as recently as like a. A Brad Stolberg and a Steve Magnus, their book, peak performance type stuff, like the 90 minute rule, just 90 minutes of quality and then 90 minutes of even sleep or just total yeah. regeneration and then go again. Um, it's You don't get a badge for doing eight hours straight or staying awake all night. But this is what I'm saying like about Ashlyn and her stories that she can really help. I think, I believe there's so many people that really struggle with that. Mm. And, and I no doubt performance suffers, but not just performance and study, performance in all areas of life, which is... Um, disappointing because it's so avoidable so again I, I we, this won't be the last time you hear from phrase but so much to offer but continue on um well but in saying that i um i'm great at i guess looking at that from like a work or study perspective but i used to be sort of i guess my own worst enemy when it came to training i used to be the person that thought more is better um, my worst thing that I ever did, <laughs> and I still to this day probably kick myself for it, is I used to make up sessions, <laughs> which is ridiculous. It makes no sense. Um, but, you know, if I missed a session because I was sick or I had something else on, I would always make up that session, um, which was generally to the detriment of really myself because the one thing that I found um, really throughout my whole career is that it was all about getting a good night's sleep and eating well. And that was always what you lost when you tried to make up sessions. It's um, Sleep is everything. And we've spoken about it a fair bit on a lot of our oh, runners virtual stuff, but it is just key, especially in endurance sport. But um, if, you, if you're going to – the only time we can get better is when we're sleeping and recovering, Fraser. And I think what you've just said then, you discovered pretty early that it wasn't for you. But hopefully the general population athletes out there right now listening to that and saying – possibly one of my mistakes or one of my er errors and in in he's probably holding me back because you, in, there's no point making up a session no. you just forget about it move on 
Yeah. Sleep. If if you're going to make up a session and you're fatigued or you're on the edge of immune system dysfunction, you just get some sleep and just forget about it. Because yeah, exactly. I tell you what, you got to move on very, very quickly. Honours completed. Yep. Now tell me, tell me this with study. What then decided, when did you say, okay, I think I want to continue on? And where does Dawes come into this? Um, it was probably maybe about the middle of honours. I started to realise that, hey, I really do um, enjoy this. And I also started to do a tiny bit of teaching at that stage as well. I think I taught into um, determinants of health or something, really um, sort of more on the basic um, side and I, I really got a kick out of the students which I which I found interesting because um, I'd never sort of seen myself as teaching others or really even um, to be honest public speaking or talking in front of anyone because as most people um, that know me and to this day are still surprised that I lecture for a living they know I hate public speaking it's like the thing um, that I always used to avoid um, but it was teaching that sort of turned, I guess, um, that idea around. Yeah, you could have fooled me and a lot of people, but you are so, so humble and and, and the way you go through life is so is so blissful and, and easy and you don't want to make a, a scene or anything. So I can understand that growing up, people would have thought, well, Ashton doesn't want to... Not, not many people want to public speak as a rule, but when you get this thing you're so passionate about and you're so good at, and then you see the reactions and what you can change. You can change lives as a lecturer as well. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, being such a young lecturer, must you must see a lot of yourself in some of these kids as well. Just, just in, even if it's five percent of their personalities, and yeah. and you can say, oh, I want to change that. So you did a bit of that, and then the when did the PhD research begin? So once um, I finished honours and um, I got a good enough mark, which I guess then became my goal. Um, I was able to get a scholarship um, to do my PhD because really from my perspective, um, if I didn't get a scholarship, I probably wasn't going to continue on because I wasn't really sure, um, you know, how I was going to work, do a PhD um, and sort of survive. And and at that stage, I wanted to move out of home. Like I wanted to become independent. I was turning 21. I thought I was, you know, really old (laughs) at that stage to be at home. You are a very old soul. But 21, I tell you what, I wasn't doing that 21 phrase. We're very different at 21. I don't think you would have liked me at 21, just quietly. But take, okay, so 21 years of age, you're looking for the PhD. You're saying, okay, what makes you, number one, choose neurophysiology. Number two, you're obviously swimming quite heavily at this stage and looking towards some big ocean swims. So can you take me through the next couple of years? Because this is unbelievable for such a young adult. So I guess uh, this is probably first, firstly um, where Dorse comes through. So um, he was um, a lecturer at um, Deakin University um, and I didn't know him personally at that stage but he did lecture and he was somebody that certainly inspired me. I wasn't really sure as to how he inspired me um, but he sort of awoken the fact that I was really interested in neurophysiology which is where I ended up. I guess the rest of my um, career sort of focusing on Um, but he sort of made me started questioning um, the evidence that was out there because certainly even with swimming I used to read things and and try things and but I never sort of um, I don't know looked at the quality if you like of what I was reading I just sort of took it for granted that oh well if this person said that that therefore it's gold 
and therefore I should follow it. So that was really, I guess, um, the beginning or, or the, the awakening, if you like, of, of wanting to do further study. Um, and then really with my PhD, I, I ended up moving to Vic Uni simply because of where supervisors moved. It's sort of, you have to align yourself obviously with those that um, are in the area. Um, and luckily for me, they're extremely supportive that um, I obviously had this side life of mm. swimming and that really from my perspective is if I couldn't swim and do my PhD, then I wasn't going to do my PhD. It was basically... <laughs> it's like a typical PhD candidate, but what, what, what you're doing right yeah, at this time in your life. So give me an average day, if you can take yourself back four or five years... Give me an average day at age 22, 23 maybe. Yeah. Give me an average day when you you got your PhD on the go and you, you're swimming at, and Vic Uni's in Footscray for those. Is it Footscray? Yeah. So western suburbs of Melbourne. So a little bit to get to as well. So give us an average day in the life of A. Fraser. Yep. So um, I came to a very good agreement in the sense that my supervisors quickly worked out that if they pretty much left me alone, the work would be done. So there was no... Um, sort of micromanaging or them worrying in the sense of am I doing anything during the day so typically um, I would be at uni um, three full days so Monday Wednesday Friday Um, and Tuesday and Thursday I would only be there for a three-hour block so I used to after three hours being at university then go home and sleep for the rest of the day training wise um, that would include Monday, Wednesday, Friday doing a single um, swimming session which would be about two and a half hours and then Tuesday, Thursday doing a double session, so morning and night, hence the sleep, mm. the three-hour the three nap I used to call it. <laughs> the nap's very needed for any athlete. <laughs> and then Saturday morning um, used to be a very, very long bay swim, um, typically sort of sitting around the three-hour mark and that was, that was pretty much my typical week. Give me an idea of this macro cycle leading up to the channel, English Channel. Was that your first big ocean swim, the, the big one, not the big famous one? Yep. Yeah. What year? So how long are we talking now? Four years ago? Five? Yeah, so um, English Channel was um, 2014. Okay. And then so give me right a right next to the year later. Give me an idea of the six to 12 months preceding. That was an average day. What's an average week look like in miles? And if you can, okay, sorry. And if you give me a indication of some of your quality swims, what they might look like. Quality meaning the VO2 work, the lactate work, if any, for that kind of distance, because I'm certainly not across that for swimming. So um, the channel was certainly a very different way to train, and it really came into play of using a number of different coaches. So at that stage, I wasn't just using Rob. Um, I was sort of getting, um, I guess, help, if you like, from additional people that had previously done the channel, um, and I also had some nutritionists involved as well. But um, the main thing, sort of 12 months prior was all about getting kilometres in but it was about getting smart kilometres in so it was no longer back to me being 13 years old doing 10 sessions a week sort of um, you know ridiculous things like that Um, it was really about I guess having you know a two hour two to three hour swim in the morning and instead of that being necessarily um, the old sort of slow you know long and slow mentality it was a little bit more um, intensity and slightly shorter, but still sort of sitting at about, I guess, the 10K um, mark. 
The other major aspect for the channel um, was actually the open water training. So I had to do cold water training, which was, it was difficult to be honest. Um, most people tend to put on, you know, five, 10 kilos um, of body weight to deal with going sort of under that 10 degree mark, um, which I did try, but I just kept losing weight. There was no... I, You're certainly not that body type. You can't. No. There's no way you can do that. I, I ate everything under the sun, and and I tried. You know, I saw many people, um, but in the end, it just for me it became a mental mind game, in the sense of I knew physiologically there was no reason why I couldn't swim in that water, and I I knew there was nothing that was going to happen to me. So it was a mental mind game, um, which look under ten degrees became extremely difficult any fat like the, what do they rub on you the fat any of that yeah the stuff? wool's fat i wool's didn't fat. i didn't use wool's fat um just simply out of preference not not because you so know. nothing but a bathing suit just yeah just bathers your bathers <laughs> wowzers so sub 10 degrees yeah give me a little idea of the month before the english channel the training the mentality you're still studying no doubt yes still studying okay give, yeah. me, give me that month before so the month before um i guess really the key thing with um, long distance um events is that you really can't just dramatically reduce the number of kilometers you do because the whole thing is keeping your lungs going um so i guess reducing the intensity um was the main thing um, but really I kept my training pretty regular in the sense that I didn't drop sessions. I just made my sessions shorter. So I kept my exact same routine of the number of sessions, um, but they were shorter right up till I left. Um, and then that way I sort of kept my routine because I'm, well, I'm sure for most, most sports people, they love routine. And the minute you're out of it is, I guess, the time when um, probably more mental factors, if you like, can we, you know, sort Absolutely. of take yeah. over? And I think marathoners can a, um, <laughs> can attest to that as well. They like to keep their routine, and even though it could drop a couple of sessions, but you'd certainly drop the volume, yeah, and, and even yeah. the, definitely the intensity as yeah. well. But the the major thing going into that taper phase, I guess, is not getting sick. Mm. And not, so tell me about that. So seven days, ten days out, where's your headspace at? <laughs> and where you, we're talking about the English Channel, which is one of the more prestigious and just amazing swimming events in the um, world? Headspace-wise, I guess the key thing, which I guess is a positive from my perspective, is I never like to look too ahead. Um, I think a lot of people sort of, they create that anxiety or they get nervous because they're always worried about what's going to happen. Um, and one thing with me is I really just worry, well, not worry, but I'm just sort of more in the moment. I just, I'm concerned with that day or that week, if you like, um, but not sort of concerned with the big events coming. <laughs> yeah, this is another one, another bottler there. Like if we can bottle about 15 of these comments already, um, do you feel like that's because your your personality and mentality is, is like that anyway and you've, you've been taught so well by your parents just to be in the moment, which is what I think we strive for in life every day and if there was more people in the moment daily, then I think we'd be a much happier civilization. number one. But number two, all this stuff, had, you, you'd, you'd done the work, you, mm. you were very confident in your training, which if there was a tinge of anxiety, wouldn't be there anyway because you'd done the work, no doubt. Yeah. How you managed to 
like continue the PhD work is unbelievable at this stage of your life. But anyway, the night before the channel, how are you travelling? Where are you? Where are you staying? Give me a lowdown. So um, for the channel, everyone stays in Dover, which is like literally a hole. <laughs> Where is it? Sorry. Um, it's just I think about an hour from London, um, but it's it's. People, um, well, tourists, if you like, aren't going there. It's simply where um, the boats leave to go to France. Okay. So it's it's truckies, um, it's okay. loud. Industrial. Yeah, very industrial. Uh, there's not really anything to do or see. Food-wise, you're looking, you know, KFC or KFC or Indian. Um. Good race day prep. <laughs> so it's, it's a very... <laughs> It's a very different place. Um, we actually left, I think, at about 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. So there was really no night before, per se. So with the channel, basically what happens is you are given a certain window. So it was a 10-day window that potentially you could leave. Okay. So you don't know when you're leaving. Is that conditions or how does that work? Yeah, it's all about conditions and tides. So we wanted to leave on a neap tide. Um, so there's two different tides there's a neap tide and a spring tide um and that's more to do with if you like um the speed of your swimmers and how well your skipper thinks you will be able to get to france so our skipper chose you know suddenly 2 a.m or 2 3 a.m was the time that we would leave um and we only got i think about maybe eight hours notice so you're literally hanging around just waiting for the call. <laughs> yeah, right. Tell me about the... So you living in the moment back then at 23 years of age, yes? 23? Yeah. Is that right? 23-year-old girl from Melbourne <laughs> sitting in the middle of this hellhole, Dover. <laughs> Sorry, any Doverites out there. Um, you, you know that you're going to do the biggest swim of your life. Is it 42 kilometres, am I right? Yeah, about 42k, yeah. yeah. And you just don't even know when you're going to get the call. No, I... I actually sort of liked that part, to be honest. It okay. sort of made it. Um, that was probably the young sort of the naive, young phrase. <laughs> yeah, of that being the exciting um, aspect, to be honest. Um, it didn't worry me. Um, and it, I, how I many really, other athletes were around? Sorry to butt in. How many oh, other? Yeah. So when during channel season, hundreds of swimmers. Yeah. So, so the there was a few. People. Was there a few other swimmers around? Possibly yeah. not as calm as you. Oh, no, certainly not. So the, the issue with Dover and um, from a mental perspective is the whole time you've got new swimmers arriving and you've got swimmers returning from the channel. So with the channel, um, most people aren't successful. So majority of swimmers coming back on the boat are generally crushed because they have not made it. Um, their team, for some reason, has completely disintegrated um, their skippers called off the swim, the conditions have changed. There's a lot of sort of factors. So it's quite um, not a morbid place, but it's very emotional. Um, and every sort of, you know, couple of hours when boats are arriving, you're never really sure of, of what's coming through the door, if you like. Which can be quite emotionally roller co- mm. emotional roller coaster for yourself, waiting for the call, as mentally relaxed and tough as you are that's still got to play a little bit on you and then you've got the, the swimmers that are waiting to go as well possibly not as holistic as yourself no. you know, a little bit more type a and a little bit more um anxiety ridden and they're seeing these people that come back with crushed dreams tell me about you start as a team and you in 
Correct me if I'm wrong, you were the only one to finish this particular pursuit, is that correct? Yeah, so what happens is is there's different sort of organisations with the channel depending on who you go with. Um, and the key thing is is with a team is that everyone um, must complete one hour at the beginning and then after every team member's had an hour, it doesn't matter then how it's further divided. Okay. So um, typically what will happen is it will come down to um, the skipper's choice. So the skipper, um, he has the ultimate rule, if you like. He will determine in the end who swims and whether or not you're pulled from the water. So in our case, um, we were told what our conditions would be, um, but about maybe four hours into the swim, um, the conditions completely changed. So the options from our skipper's point of view was um, you either swim faster because otherwise you'll miss certain tides, which means you could be in the water for like 16, 20 hours, um, or you're pulled from the swim. So it becomes, I guess, quite an emotional roller coaster in the middle of, you know, nowhere. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah, so it's um, it's difficult out there, but I guess the one thing that I kept in my mind is that it, it wasn't my choice. And when I signed up for this team, I did say that I was happy to go with the skipper's decision. So when he told me that, you know, I need to swim for this period of time and you need to make this certain point on the map, if you like, at each time point, otherwise we won't make it, I just had to do it. I feel like that would have, for you, I, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know any of this story that this is unbelievable, <laughs> but I would feel for you, knowing you now, that that would have actually been quite a good thing for you. Quite a, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw it as a challenge. Yeah. And for me, it sort of actually made the swim more achievable because suddenly there was chunks. Yeah. There were chunks of time. I had to get something done within that period of time. And suddenly I wasn't swimming to France. It's, it's objective. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm not going to France on my Pat Malone. Like on my own, I can. I've got this target to get to, and I'll get to that. Yeah. How? Tell me about the last twenty minutes of the English Channel. Like yep. this is this is pretty. <laughs> mo- this must be so momentous. So the last um, twenty minutes. So the issue with the channel is that you can see land for about the last six hours. So it's it's a mental um, mind game, and it's extremely frustrating. But the last twenty minutes and. Um, we, this was daylight, so we'd swum through the night. Um, you know, the sun was rising, all that sort of thing. Um, and I could actually feel like I could almost touch my fingertips on land. And, and I, but I wouldn't let myself believe it until I was told because if I believed that and I still had four hours to swim, it could have been a different story. But um, I don't know, seeing that land, I always knew, I knew we were going to do it. I actually had no point during the swim of thinking are we going to make it um but we're lucky enough with that sort of organization that um the last couple of hundred meters um everyone that was in the boat all jumped in and we actually got to finish together which together. was a but really you, good occasion just for the listeners you swam how many kilometers so in total i think we did 42 so we're probably looking upwards you know high 30s That's i wasn't wearing a gps because there would be phenomenal. no gps no 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 <laughs> 30 something okay so the last 50 meters tears try what are we talking <laughs> emotion um well to be honest by then i'd now been seasick for over 11 hours so, so seasick while swimming yes um how do we do that 
it's an interesting one when obviously you are supposed to feed um, from my perspective every 20 minutes, um, which did not happen. So relief probably... Vomiting? Vomiting. How's the depletion? Well, I struggled. I I didn't have anything left, to be honest. So relief and I guess exhaustion um, probably overcame me before any sort of happiness um, or anything like that. And probably a bit of disbelief as well. Um, it's It seemed very surreal that we started in one country and we ended up in another um, and that we'd actually achieved it. And to be honest, it, it really took um, a while for it to sink in, probably not until I was back home, um, what we'd actually achieved. It's unbelievable. You swam from one nation to the other in the most <laughs> famous of waters um, and for other sport athletes like myself to, to know so much about the channel without even being a swimmer, You've done that in the humble art of swimming in the water, which is unbelievable. Vomiting the last 11 hours. Yeah. Again, I didn't know about that. Nothing, you, you don't tell me about this stuff because you're so bloody humble, but <laughs> not one bit of calories in and no. lots of calories out. All out. And no doubt, like 11 hours of swimming. You finish the channel, you've PhD candidate still. When do we finish our doctorate and when do we look towards Rottnest? Yep, so the minute I finished the channel, um, even amazingly arriving back on dock, um, everyone was suddenly now asking me, um, are you back next year? Are you doing this solo? Um, You know, what are you going to do? What type of time? Um, Which I actually found extremely overwhelming because from my perspective, I felt like I didn't even get to sort of initially enjoy the fact that, you know, we'd completed this, um, that I was overseas, which was amazing from my perspective because I, I certainly wasn't well-travelled at that age. Um, and I sort of um, – I took that more from a negative perspective in the sense that I decided that I didn't want to do the channel um, by myself. And, and certainly I sort of felt like um, – not that I sort of copped it for it, but – it was suddenly like everyone had all these expectations of me, which I found interesting because a lot of them actually didn't even know me. Um, so it sort of shifted my mind in the sense that I knew I wanted another challenge. Um, I knew I didn't want it to be the English channel. And I also knew that I wanted it to be completely solo. So the, I didn't want to have any sort of team members involved. I wanted it to be purely myself. Um, and only myself sort of in there and doing it and not relying, if you like, um, on others. It doesn't sound like you relied on many for the channel just <laughs> b- before that, but I can understand that that would definitely leave a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. For 23 years of age, you've done that. Mm. and then, But that's, that's unfortunately society and that's why you're probably one of the, the um, antithesis of that, really. Like you certainly lead your own life. Rottnest, it is, is it the hardest swim in the nation? Tell us about this because I think the channel's so mainstream. Mm. Rottnest isn't. Um, no. Fill us in on that if the training was any different and the day itself. So um, Rottnest was something that um, really came to my mind just from um, discussing um, sort of with some other long-distance swimmers some events they'd actually done prior to doing the channel. So it was more, I guess, assumed that people did as a lead-up um, and I sort of flipped it around. So um, the Rottnest swim in itself um, is about it's, – it's advertised as 19.6 kilometres. Um, it's typically around sort of the 21K mark um, because you can't go in the exact same sort of straight line 
um, you know, as the GPS um, map. Training-wise, it was warm water, which I was so relieved about. It meant that there was no cold water training. <laughs> Locality is in WA off the island. Yeah, island. yep. So in Perth, leave from Cottesloe, um, which is, you know, absolutely beautiful. Um, I'd never been to that area before I'd done that swim. So you can another box? Yep. Tell me about the currents. That was pretty hard, yes. Is it one of the hardest swims in the world? Yeah, so um, with that swim, probably the first thing that um, if anyone is sort of from Perth or WA is the shark um, sort of infestation. Well, that, that <laughs> probably rules me out and half our, or probably 90% of our listeners continue on. <laughs> so sea life um, is the first um, major concern with rottenness. So um, sea lice will get you. You will have no choice about that. Um, <laughs> you will be stung, if you like, by multiple jellies. That's nothing surprising. But sharks is the major, I guess, concern in the sense that, well, from my point of view, it wasn't about being eaten or bitten. It was the fact that if there was a shark too close to me, I'd be pulled from the water and therefore I'd be disqualified. <laughs> Probably gives you just that last five seconds gives you an insight into the psychology of Dr. Ashlyn Fraser. She is a different cat. I love it. That's why she succeeded in so many things she's done, everything she's done. She wasn't worried about getting eaten by the shark. She was getting worried about getting pulled out of the water and not completing the task at hand. <laughs> Listeners, continue on, Fraser. Christ. So that was, I guess, the first concern from... Jesus. Probably more, to be honest, it was probably more um, my mum's perspective of being worried about the wildlife, um, which is fair enough, <laughs> I guess. I think so, I was a mum. I mean, it's pretty fair enough. Um, the other concern was the fact, well, not concern, but I guess difference um, in this swim is that it was shorter than the channel. So it meant I was looking at about half the distance and I had sort of about a time frame that I wanted to come in and I knew with that time frame it meant training wise I really needed to sort of scale back the volume and pick up the intensity. From my perspective I felt like I'd done 10 years of long hard training. My lungs were there, my heart was there. It was the fact that I needed to be able to increase that intensity. So my mentality was the fact that, you know, the person that will win or the person that will achieve their time is the one that can hold on to the fastest rate for the longest time. So that was really what I took for my training. So typically I would actually do shorter sessions um, but more intense. I didn't do – I only did one long swim a week, which was the Saturday morning. Average um, – was a Saturday? Oh, still about three hours. Yeah. So. Still getting a lot of sort of kilometres in the tank, if you like. I'll butt in there and just ask a bit of your physiological testing because this would have been the phase that you were trying to really be specific to the task. Like you yeah. got a 20k ocean swim, but you're trying to t- cut the time down. Was this the time you were getting those? So VO2 test was done around this era? Um, VO2s, well, to be honest, VO2 testing and lactate testing really was done from probably about the age of 13. Every year? Multiple times. Well, okay. Now tell the listeners what you peaked at and I'll explain that. <laughs> um, so in my peak, um, I probably was about mid-80s. For so, a VO2 test? Yes, and yep. did you get a lactate threshold? I can't remember matter. all my The lactate lactates, stuff's yeah. a bit different. That, that's just used for training, which is which is really important, but it's not as the data, the number, the objective number isn't. Now I tell you what, a mid-80s is a maximum oxygen uptake per minute you can use. Now this, this lady in front of me is a machine – Again, we go back to nature versus nurture. <laughs> I tell you what, that, that comes from hard work. She might have been gifted with some traits from Eric and your mum's name? Jan. Sorry, Jan. Eric and Jan might have <laughs> gifted her some 
um, ability. But I tell you what, that comes from hard work. You can build that VO2 max. Mid-80s, elite marathoners, the Kenyans even are in the mid-high 70s. They were, they rely on great running economy. Steve Prefontaine was mid-80s. Lance Armstrong, mid-80s, high-80s. That's the kind of athlete we're dealing with, listeners. Mid-80s for VO2, and I remind her of it every day, and she gets embarrassed. <laughs> Probably not mid-80s right now, no. but that's okay. So we've got all that. We've done our fast work. We're saying, okay, very specific to task, which is a lot of our listeners can um, attest to. Rottnest on the day, how the day pan out. So Rottnest was um, the first swim that I've ever been nervous for. <laughs> I can't imagine you being nervous for anything. Which um, Why? I I, is that because you set yourself a time goal? Yeah, I, I had a number of goals um, and it was surprising to myself as well. I was completely calm the days leading up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the morning of, I was calm. I had a good night's sleep. I had brekkie. Um, I did my usual pre-race, um, I guess, sort of preparation. In the what sense. was that? Um, well, it's all about, um, to begin with, lots and lots of layers of sunscreen because I'm so fair. <laughs> Very fair. Actually, Mick Sharkey in the intro called you a strawberry blonde. <laughs> yes, I am a strawberry blonde. Um, but really, I guess, um, preparation-wise is really talking to myself in the sense that I know I'm ready. Um, and that's the key thing, I guess, with, with self-doubt from my perspective is that I never had doubt for big events because I know I'd done the work and I, I really did believe that um, and I wasn't trying to kid myself or anything like that. I, I truly believe that I had done the best to my ability. Yes, I'd missed sessions. I'm sure there were sessions that I had not done, you know, I hadn't given 100%. Um, but from my perspective, I'd done everything. Um, but once we got to the beach... And suddenly I realised that I was surrounded by like international swimmers of, you know, massively high quality. It suddenly got to me a little bit of who I was against um, and the fact that I was in the fastest wave. So generally in open water swimming, everyone just leaves at the same time. But with this particular race, it was actually seated. So I was seated with the fastest swimmers. There was a lot... um, from overseas and it sort of daunted me I guess the caliber <laughs> of swimmers surrounding me and also um, the other thing that surprised me um, is that I never generally compare myself or or look at other swimmers but suddenly I was standing next to these well, I guess women that were absolutely huge not like fat wise but they were muscly um and they were just they were big women and I suddenly felt like a very, very small girl. <laughs> For listeners, if you Google a photo of the phrase, she's not one of the more muscular frames, <laughs> no. you'll see. Not one of the more muscular frames. But so this is self doubt for the first time in your life. Yeah. Now listeners all around the world will be resonating with this marathon start lines, half marathon start lines. If you've done the work and you've got faith in your ability, how did you then go from there to swim in the best race of your life? So um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure at that stage, um, Dorse could probably tell that I was um, very nervous. Hold up there. Professor Dawson Kidgel is yeah. her husband. We will get him on for a bit of a sciencey show in time. Yeah. He's very he's very sciencey. He, he is, but um, he's my biggest supporter. And I guess up until that stage, he'd probably, probably never been worried um, from a mental perspective of can I do it. But I came up to him, um, I just registered 
um, you know, and I, and I started shaking and, and he, he was sort of like, you know, what's wrong? Are you cold? Like, do you need a towel? Which is ridiculous because it's already like, you know, 25, 30 degrees. This is the girl that's vomited the last 11 hours of an English channel. How can she be nervous for a little <laughs> piddly six-hour six event if that? <laughs> and, and I must admit, like I, I did sort of, you know, I said to him, oh, everyone here, they just, they seem so much bigger um, than me. I, I, and I just said to him, you know, I feel like a little girl which it seems a ridiculous thing to say, but, and I'm not sure why it bothered me, um, but it did. And, and he was very quickly able to sort of, I guess, calm me down and, and really remind me um, and just say to me, like, since when did you ever look at other people? Which was, which was so true. And, and I needed somebody else to say it to me. I, I knew inside I didn't care, but I don't know, suddenly I'd let the thought in. Yeah. And it, it did begin to consume me, but... So that was it. That was all you needed. Yeah. That's a bit. That's I got more goosebumps then because that that's what it's about. Um, not not comparing ever. And I guess we've done it here for over twelve years. And everyone's their own athlete mm. and their own person. And um, I've always felt like you're wise beyond your years. But listen <laughs> to this honestly. I'm not just trying to piss in your pocket. Listen to that last few minutes. Your one moment of fragility. Mm. And obviously, Dorse has been amazing for you as well. Um, but he's a smart man, and he's been around the block, and he understands. Yeah. What a, what a person you are. So to be able to pull you back from that minute of insecurity and say, listen, why look around? Because mm. we've done the work together. You know what's what's going on in here and you just go and do your thing. Whatever will be, will be around you. Correct. Um, so you pull yourself out of that or Dawes helped you and yep. you got in the water and off you went. Yeah, so once I'd um, said my goodbye um, to – so I had both my mum and dad there um, and Dawes, so I was Big very Eric. lucky. Yeah. Um, I'd said goodbye to all of them um, and, you know, it was nice in the sense that um, I knew at the other end of that swim that, yes, it would be a hard swim, but I was really swimming, if you like, at that stage to the most important people in my life and it really was a driver um, during the swim – um, so saying my goodbye, I, I was almost um, excited. It, it's funny watching people at the start line because people get quite emotional, like they're never going to see them again. <laughs> There's a lot of sharks out there, Fraze. <laughs> they might be right. Um, but I, I took it on as a challenge in the sense that, um, you know, the sooner I got to see them was all about how fast I could swim. Cool. It was up to me, really. That's a pretty good mentality. You're getting towards the end of the rotten nest. How you're feeling? Are you feeling like you're in the, I guess the flow state we could call it, where you just <laughs> everything's going to plan. You you almost time moves ridiculously quick, and just everything is just stroke after stroke feels effortless. Or are you feeling a bit, you're a bit quicker. <laughs> this, this this race is a bit quicker. It everything's is a little bit. Is it starting to catch up with you? Yeah. Physiological sense. So, um, first ten k of the swim. Um, I absolutely just blitzed through it. I didn't feel it, to be honest. Um, I wasn't even concerned. Um, I was a little bit seasick, but at that stage, the weather was... It was okay. We we knew it was going to be bad weather, so I'd mentally prepared myself um, for that. But once I hit that 12K mark, um, we started to get into sort of 8-foot, 10-foot um, waves. And, um, well... I guess sort of from my perspective, my stroke started to fall apart a little bit. Um, I could only breathe now to one side because of the wind, which like for swimmers, if you want to breathe to both sides because your neck gets absolutely um, buggered. So the last couple of kilometres, I'm not going to lie, they were the hardest kilometres 
um, I've ever done in my life. There was no there was no point that I was going to quit. It was not about fighting myself to make it. I actually felt like it was much more of a physical battle um, because at that stage, you know, I hadn't eaten for six hours. I'd been vomiting. Again, um, again who, I get very seasick being an open water swimmer, which is a, not a good thing. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I actually um, didn't know about that. But, That's... yeah, so it, it, it actually was the hardest couple of kilometres I've ever done, but it's probably, from my perspective, out of all the races I've done, which I would have no idea how many I've done, I got the most out of because I had nothing left. I, I truly believed I had nothing left, yet I was still able to do it so and you know no one could ever take that away from me no which was important it's quite euphoric to be able to yeah to feel that mm. the depletion yet again the <laughs> speed yet again one of the toughest swims in the world in the top couple and you've just finished it and feeling good the last hundred meters give me an idea you just <laughs> did you kick yeah did you have anything to give so last hundred meters um Mentally, I had something to give. Physically, I probably was not any faster. <laughs> I was trying. You thought you might have been. Um, but the only problem for me at the end of that swim was, if you can believe, um, at the end of the swim, you actually had to run up a ramp. So well, I... <laughs> you needed runners back then. <laughs> yeah. Ledge. I had the issue um, <laughs> of massive sea legs. I can't, I can't imagine. <laughs> so I, I finally got myself... Um, up the ramp um, and just past the finish line so my timing band would go off um, but then I completely collapsed there was I couldn't I couldn't physically move I couldn't get myself up um, again there was nothing left but um, but your, your band was off you finished it finished but you were done yeah I was done yeah that's <laughs> that's the epitome of leaving not one inch yeah, in the I, tank I hadn't I had nothing left and in a way um I was so glad I had nothing left. Experiment, yeah. yeah. We experiment with just how much we've got. And yeah. if we can take that in everyday life, I'd imagine people have goal A races, no doubt. Mm. And if that's you did everything perfect, you trained perfect, mm. you had the perfect attitude, which above the shoulders is 90% of it, but phrase left nothing left in training, intelligent work, hard work, but enabled her with the confidence to, to really finish and execute to perfection. The fact she was lying on the sand with nothing left <laughs> with her family, her beautiful family around her tells you that she executed to perfection because there was not one inch left out in that water. No. She was cooked. That was your biggest race to date, your most yep. your most proud achievement to date. We'll get on to the future in just a tick. From a training session-wise, and then we'll move away, a bit more personal stuff, the, the session that you feel like leading into Rot Nest's just left you with the most confidence yeah um from a this is a bit off the cuff i know sorry so physiologically no, or just psychologically like what was the type of session or maybe there was one or two that you said okay i'm, I'm more than ready for this like as far as time wise because i liked it a lot of runners listening will think okay they might want to break a four hour or three hour marathon or a, a 30 minute or a four, 35 40 minute 10k what was the session mm. that resonated most and said okay now i think i'm ready so for a lot of people that were training, um, I guess for Rotness that I spoke to, for them they kept talking about the training session where they hit the, I guess, the largest number of kilometres. For me, that was never the session that told me I was ready because I was always a swimmer that could keep going and do more kilometres. That was never, I guess, the, the issue from my perspective. 
it was all about being able to change speed. So um, once I knew, um, we used to do sort of these pyramid sets i don't know what people like to call them but basically um yeah so we're like um we may be descending in distance but you know getting faster in time i was typically not great um at these sets but um really once you know that six eight weeks before rot nest i could feel you know my um, body being able to change adapt to speed i knew at that point that that meant that you know if there was someone i wanted to chase down if i needed to go a bit faster because of a certain tide moving or wind that I could do it and for me that was that sort of turning point and having such a massive base Mm. and the engine which you have got to be able to change those gears and push it like push the edge of that threshold a bit more which I've got no doubt it's a very different art to swim in six hours in in rottenness but what was the shortest set in that pyramid do you remember? Um, yeah, no, we went down to hundreds. Hundreds, yep. wow, that's yep. cool, and that's good for our listeners to know. And we do need that speed endurance as mm. a as a distance swimmer, runner, triathlete. We've got a few Ironman in here at Runners that are very similar to you, as they've got the they've got the big engine, they mm. can go all day. So we've got to taper them to be able to break the nine and ten hour mark. We need to. They need to spend a lot of time with us. Traditionally, the five ten k paces are yeah. really good for that. Similar to you, the hundred two hundred meters in the pool, really good for that. Unbelievable. Now, PhD completed what year? So, PhD then was completed the follow the end of the following year. I feel like I want to get you and Dawson together <laughs> to talk a lot more about this. You've both been on that many papers. It's not funny, especially in the one Dawson Kidgel. <laughs> yeah. well, I think it's for another show, but just very, very quickly, succinct the PhD. So, basically, in a nutshell, um, what I'm really interested in and, and also DOS is um, how the brain, if you like, controls our muscles and how that then relates to, you know, how well do we adapt to different training protocols in a very, nutshell. Very, very succinct and well. It's, it's pretty cool. You can see them online. Yes, the yes. PhDs. Yep. If you want to look up Ashton Fraser and Dawson Kidgel, two of the smarter minds in sports science you will see. Uh, in this nation of ours and worldwide. Dawson's off to travel. Where's he going? Finland? To Finland. Finland yeah. to travel to, to speak at one of the summits there. He's very he's a very popular public speaker, Dawson. Tell us about your mum when she read the PhD. She would have been all over it. Yes, as a mum, she would have been chomping at the bit, no doubt, to read every last word. So my mum's always been very supportive in anything I do. But um, Hello, Jen. <laughs> My dad read my whole PhD and actually um, edited it at the end, but um, mum read the title um, and was, I guess, probably a little bit confused at that point. And she did begin to read the abstract and sort of ended with, oh, well done, sort of. Oh, I'm very proud of you. Um, Please don't expect me to read this. There's too many. Like, it's bloody hard. It's a hard read. I've got I've got halfway through it, and it is over my head as well. But we teach us other things, don't we? Phrase we we've worked, phrases worked on the deadlift over the last twelve months. You want to tell the listeners about your <laughs> movement patterns? Tell the listeners. <laughs> so this you, originates really from being uncoordinated. Probably. Uncoordinated. <laughs> and movement patterns are getting there. <laughs> In primary school, is one thing I have worked out with um, strength and conditioning is that I really like um, movements broken down into steps. Very, very, very. <laughs> 
small, lots of steps. <laughs> yep. And I guess sort of the um, key <laughs> words. So from my perspective, which is really not helpful, is that if someone shows me a movement, that's great that they, they look amazing, but I can't replicate it. I have no concept <laughs> of, of how to do what they're doing, which is probably why I can't dance. For such an elite athlete, it was, it was funny. But look, everyone learns differently, but she's got it now. And <laughs> That's on to, I guess, the future in sport before we get into the personal stuff. So she is lifting now twice a week. I guess personal now, the reason Fraze is having a hot chocolate is and not having a beer with me <laughs> is because she is 20 weeks... 22 22 weeks, weeks pregnant yep. with her first baby, but she's got two beautiful stepdaughters as well. Yep. So you can go into a bit of family life now. Mm. So we've got Dorset Home and the daughters, who we got? So we've got Haley, who's the eldest, in Georgia. Gorgeous. Um, so, yeah, I guess that was another sort of um, massive point in my life is that probably from the age of younger than 23, not only was I trying to, I guess, um, be the athlete, do my PhD, but I also then become, became a stepmom, um, which was another um, interesting part to my life. But to be honest, it, it probably gave me greater perspective. Um, totally. Yeah, a hundred percent, and and sort of the ability to um, it changes you. It, it does, and, and you suddenly realise that you have this capacity to love people that you know you, you've never met before, um, but then suddenly you're willing to do anything for. It's a it's a real um, it's it's difficult to explain. I was not expecting it. <laughs> no, oh, I can relate. I'm, I've got two stepsons and a daughter of uh, my own daughter, but two stepsons exactly the same. Mm. One, yeah, they were one and four when I took them on. So totally relatable and it's it is hard to explain, especially <laughs> when you're young. You would have been younger than me but a, a truckload more mature, no doubt. <laughs> but you, it would have changed you as an athlete and it makes you a better person. It definitely. A thousand times better person. Yeah. A thousand times better athlete, I reckon. Even if you're not as ruthless as you once were, it, it makes you a much more rounded person. Yeah. And I think in the future that's going to really help you as well mm. being a, a after the birth of of this this new bubs i think you're going to be a, a super athlete now tell me about post bubs now at the moment you're training you're pregnant at the moment 22 weeks you're training with me twice a week just in the weights room yeah um, and doing a great job of adapting different <laughs> movement patterns because she can't you can't do it all right now no in the pool with the great gus what's this what's a normal week look like as a pregnant yep so um i'm now doing three morning sessions a week um of two hours so sitting about sort of that six um kilometer mark so what's that 18k in the pool a week in in the pool yep. a week yeah and two lifting sessions, and that that is you done. How's That's your fatigue levels? How are you coping? Yeah, so originally, um, as most people probably tried to do, I tried to do more. So I was trying to do running as well as a bit more swimming, but I was just too tired. Um, but for me, this is sort of the perfect mixture. I seem to be able to um, enjoy myself and train well in the pool um, and also do the lifting as well and, and get to the end of the day and not be um, a complete and utter wreck. <laughs> you still have to lecture as well and talk yes. and talk for a living, which yes. isn't easy to do. And, and as much as you love your job, it does, it does take a lot of energy to do what you do at uni every day. Moving forward, I believe, oh, I know you, you, you're so young from a chronological sense, but I believe your best is ahead of you as an athlete from all perspectives, but swimming is your thing. Um, I believe you're nowhere near your peak. So we've now brought in this S&C stuff with, with Gussie as well, doing his stuff. 
I believe there's lots to be done. What can you see in the next five to ten years for yourself as an athlete? Mm. Swimming, triathlon, I've tried to <laughs> tried to plant that seed a few times. <laughs> Hasn't really taken place yet, but she, I'll force her. I'll force her to do at least one trial, listeners. But tell me about the next decade for A. Hey, Fraser. Kids, yeah. races, Olympics. So definitely, um, from my perspective, I, I definitely have not finished. There's no way the word retiring or anything like that has crept into my uh, my mind. I really do see myself really um, swimming and doing exercise for life. But I already have, um, I don't know if it's sort of a crazy idea, um, but even in the sense that I would love to, um, having bubs in December, even in February, um, just do a quick 1K race locally <laughs> see how I go I don't know if that's you know sort of an ambitious goal but um, so bubs will be 8 to 12 weeks old <laughs> yeah. I think well if anyone can do it you can <laughs> we do have yeah, we do have lots of new mums 12 weeks that do some pretty cool things mm. but one k a 1k sprint yes yeah so um, I guess from that perspective it won't matter if I haven't been in the pool you no. know for 12 weeks I, I know I could make um, that one kilometre. I think that's really good. There's lots of 1,200 metre swims yeah, around, around yeah. Melbourne at that stage. And I can even whack on a wetsuit if I'm, you know, feeling really... Isn't that blasphemy for you? <laughs> Probably. I think that's blasphemy. I don't think you've ever worn a wetsuit in your life. <laughs> well, no, I, I, don't, I don't have one. I'd have to exactly. borrow one. You won't, you won't be wearing a wetsuit, let's be honest. <laughs> long term? Um, yeah, so long term from there, I've got a, I've got a couple of um, sort of ideas that definitely... I'm not sure in what order... Um, I would like to do them, but certainly I would. I definitely will be doing Rottnest again. Sensation. Yep, that's a. I knew that once I'd finished. Time goal. Is there a time goal there? Under six hours. Yeah. Yep. What I was want. Your, what was your race last time? Six. Just well over over six. So sub six hours yep. for Rottnest. That's I want. One. I want sub six. Um, and you know. If it takes me a couple of goes, so be it. World champs, <laughs> FINA world champs, Pampax, tell me about that. Yep, so other sort of longer distances um, is certainly I would love to really crack into sort of the 25-kilometre um, FINA races. So they have the 5K, the 10K and the 25K um, races and they have a couple of different races available. So you can do a FINA World Series, um, which is where um, it can be up to eight races um, all in different locations overseas um, and basically you know at the end of the day um, whoever's competed the you know the best in the 25k in each of those events I would love to do but from my perspective that's probably a lot of work where I'd have to qualify firstly um, to the, do that circuit. But we're looking long term like yeah, yeah and I think in the, you'll be a swimmer in, the, in your late 30s that'll be mm. probably better yeah. Than in your early twenties and possibly even your mid forties, like lots of athletes are in endurance based. You might have had two or three kids by then. Mm. Often, the endurance athletes like yourself are much better post kids as well. Yeah, <laughs> and they do teach you a lot, the kids, but also mental. And you learn to you what you've juggled the last seven or eight years. I think set you up perfectly mm. to be a mum. It's always unexpected, and the, <laughs> the lack of sleep and, and the the joys they give you, but. You're going to be fine. I've got no doubt about that. Now, <laughs> your number one goal is Rottnest. We move on from there. The triathlon I'll make you do. <laughs> That's no doubt. I, I'm gonna if I didn't have to sit on a bike, I would do it. Yeah, the bike isn't ideal, is it? We might have to work something out there. But I, I'm going to get Fraze to do a 5K park run, which is a road uh, road run. 
the famous World Ride Park runs. We'll get it on a 5K and might wet the appetite a little bit. A couple of little quick fire ones to finish off with, Fraze. What are we talking? Your ideal day, miss. Tell me about your ideal day. What's it involved? <laughs> Tell me from wake to go to bed. What's your ideal yep, day? So ideal day um, would probably still waking up about a 5 a.m. start, to be honest. Um, doing a training session, whatever that is, depending on what day I'm waking up to. Um, and then one thing I absolutely love um, after training is then um, going out for breakfast with Doss. We always get eggs when we go out. And um, even though we both do the same training pattern every single week, we always like to tell each other what we've done, um, what aspect we enjoyed, what we want to do better next time. That's good. It's <laughs> like nice to... It's a debrief. Yeah, debrief yeah. on the session and you can tell him about your work, he can tell you about his biceps and, yeah. and we go from there. Eggs, any coffees? Yeah, yeah. Dorsal will definitely have um, a coffee. I'm probably more on the hot chocolate side. Um, and then from there, um, anything to do with the beach. So um, love summer in the sense that the minute we can get down there, if we can spend the whole day down there, we're very happy people. We've got kayaks, you know. Um, so we love paddling up to Mordialic is probably um, our favourite. The listeners, Edafail, they live on the beautiful part of Port Phillip Bay in Edafail. So Mordialic's about a 4K kayak. It's a beautiful part of the world, Port Phillip. I think we're biased, but it is, <laughs> it's, it's a stunning beach. So where Ash lives is obviously her, her main training mecca as well yep. on the water there. Continue on, just an outdoor type. Yeah, and then to be honest, if we can be eating dinner at like 530 Six o'clock with the kids, watch some, watch a movie, and be in bed by eight thirty. That probably would be that's, my ideal. That's perfect. Ideal no, no, that's day. what I want to get. I like <laughs> to get a bit of the listeners, just to get a bit of insight into the life of. of I'm not. Frozen. I'm not a party animal. That's for sure. No, it's pretty hard to swim. <laughs> do the stuff you've done. You've achieved more before the age of twenty-five than most people will in a lifetime. So it's pretty hard to do that if you're in in a nightclub, possibly <laughs> like myself at that same age now. Magnificent work. Now, just a couple of listener takeaways. This story is incredibly unique and there's not many like you in the world, I would imagine. <laughs> is there one thing, uh, you've probably said five or six nuggets for the listeners if we can, we can post them up in the show notes, but the takeaway for the listeners about general life or just general performance, anything they can take away and, and leave their commute or their long run or ride when they're listening to your beautiful dulcet tones that they can take away... <laughs> Take away and just say, okay, I'm going to continue on and I can take something from this podcast and just try to implement it in my own life. Yeah, okay. Probably one thing, I mean, I have a number of things I like to live by, but um, one thing that always sort of comes back to me is knowing why you do things. I know it sounds sort of sort of silly, um, but the number of people I speak to, especially when it comes to training, they don't know why they train. It doesn't have to be, you know, for some magnificent goal. It can be simply because they enjoy doing it. Um, but I just feel like there's so many people now that they sort of roll around with life, but they have no idea at any point why they are doing anything. Um, and I think the minute you know why you do it, um, it gives you purpose. And, and it also, um, well, it's more enjoyable um, but yeah, I just I think that's a good thing you can live by that's for perfect. everything. That is that's so true. Sustainability as well. Yeah. So we you might have three hundred athletes in here a week with different goals, but as mm. long as they know why. Yeah. And it could be simple as emotional, mental health, 
just general feeling of clarity. And if, if there's, that's not much more important than that, really. And then everyone will have those race goals, whether it's a, a long course swim or a, or a race or a triathlon or a game of footy or soccer on the weekend. They're nice to work mm. towards and, and structure. that's how we structure up, I guess, from a, a physiological sense. But just to be a better parent or a better teacher or a better just a better employer or employee for the clarity of mind, I think that's that's a big why. Mm. But if you don't know your why, you've really got to assess and sit down and have a look, step out of your life for mm. a minute and have a bit of a look at it, I think, and and possibly reevaluate why you might be doing things. But that is a perfect takeaway, Miss Fraser. <laughs> it certainly won't be the last time we have you on the Runners Radio Show because you are one of the greats. 27 years of age, you can be sure you it's not the last you've heard of her. Good luck with pubs. Thank you. Now, we're going to... Also, maybe pin up a bit of a move, maybe a video of Ash doing a deadlift and just for all our entertainment. No? Okay, we won't do that. We'll pin up one of her finish. Have we got video of Rottnest finish? Yes. Yeah, we'll get some video we'll pin up on the show notes. But thanks so much, Ash. And um, we look forward to our next guest, which is Chris McCarthy, the 800-meter Olympian from 2000. He'll be on next week. So thanks so much, Fraze, and we'll chat to you very soon. <laughs> thanks, Rick. Mate. That was absolutely brilliant. I had look, you, you sort of get to know people in here, but I had no idea. Number one, that Ash was such a, a freak swimmer, but number two, like that injury and everything she's gone through to to get back to this point. What a story! She's a beautiful lady and so humble, so inspiring. Yeah. Hopefully, it's inspired some of you listeners to maybe take up some distant swimming pursuits of your own. Yeah, uh, you won't be getting me in that department. Do you, do you, uh, can you? Can you? Can you even swim? Oh, mate, can I swim? He lives He lives literally 200 oh, metres from Port Phillip Bay. He'd want to swim. I got taught to swim by a rather large lady who, in that era of swimming lessons sort of around, we're talking early 90s, she had a stick with a hook on it. And if we didn't swim to her satisfaction, she would get the hook and hook you up under the ribs as you were swimming along. So um, that might have been sort of like almost... Oh, Corporal punishment that's sort of very, stuff. But yeah, you got that's to, 1950s type you, stuff. You learnt to swim really well, wow. that's for sure. Not yeah. in Ash's level so you've at all. Got her, a weapon. Uh, you got her to thank then. Yeah, exactly. Now, mate, uh, we, we want to be able to, as you say, educate and inspire people as well. little listener question has come in, although you know, it's, it's vaguely impossible but to have listeners when this is episode one. But I've put one out there through my multitude of social media and I got one back, a question back from Simo in Queensland. And he wants to know how many times should he use the runner's app a week if he's training for a fast 10K? Great question, Simo. Um, I hope you're liking runner's virtual there, brother. Um, look, as a general rule, real, it depends on the type of athlete. I'm, I can't, you, your question doesn't say the time you're aiming at. But the elite of the elite guys would only do one of those sessions two to three times a week max. If you feel like you need it to run all the time, really go to the well for that runner's A, that real quality session. We call that a runner's A once or twice a week and then use it but drop the pace right off, mate. So you can use it and just do some tempo running, some jogging. But as a real general rule, Simo, let's say you're trying to break 40 minutes for 10, which you may be trying to do, buddy. You go, you use the apps like a fartlek and a speed endurance, say, once a week each, and then you might do your longer run and then more of a mid-week, middle-distance run. And that's all you need, brother. But you're welcome to hook us up, rickatrunners.com, for any further questions or just comment on some of our runners' app stuff because we've got lots of 
lots of um, explanations of, of when you should be doing what on there, buddy. But all the best for that 10K. Mate, brilliant advice there as usual. Now, you gave me well, you gave me a little bit of license for the last I forgot 30 about this seconds until 30 of seconds the podcast. Ago. So mm-hmm. Now, what I've done with that is I've, a little play on words, but something a little bit fun. I have created Shark's Running Joke. Oh, no. Okay. See what I've done there? Mm. Great. This, you, is, this is going to be great, ladies and gentlemen. I can just. What, what are we going to kill? This is the only way. This is the only way I could get him on the podcast. If he said, "Give me a little bit of me time," at the end, I said, "Oh, <laughs> Mick, bloody you can have me time in one can." Oh, yeah. no. I said, "We can have a couple of beers. We can talk some <laughs> some rubbish." And he goes, "Just please, can I have a minute or two of me time?" I said, "Whatever, shark. Whatever gets you on, brother. Let's go." Now you'll be glad to know that. So what's it uh, called? Google, so what's it called? Like, it's what's called it? Sharks Running Joke. This is a weekly segment now. Weekly segment. Well, it will. Is this going to be gonna for at least eleven weeks? Because Google has a page called Eleven Terrible Jokes for Runners. Oh, so God. there are, but some are here. I've read through them. Then got anything to do with running? But anyway, I've got one for you. I think this will be this will be pretty sharp. All right, you ready? Here we go. Yep. All right. What's the difference between large parties at restaurants and runners? What is the difference, Michael? Large parties at restaurants split their checks, but runners check their splits. Oh, my yes. goodness. Yes. Have a, this is what I have to deal with five days week. a week. Try the meal. Now, listen, listen. We had a five-star rating until the- <laughs> That wasn't bad. There's listeners all over the world just that we're about to tick on the five-star, and then that joke's probably brought us down I at least a star. I thought that was all right. It was okay. He did He did go with one a week ago that he said he was going to run with that I thought was better than that. We'll save that for a week, too. Uh, you save the bet. We've got to, look, we, I, I wasn't sure. I, I didn't want to use my best material too early. Under promise, over deliver. That's right. Hey, Correct. mate, this has been fun. It's been a great time. Now, I can't thank the man on my left, Mick Sharkey, enough. He's been fantastic. He is the media mogul, Mick Sharkey, the Twitter sensation. Look, he doesn't need any more followers, but if you want to, you can give him a follow on Twitter. You can check out all the runners' socials as well if you want to. But thanks so much for listening. And we will be back in week two with a, a beautiful guest. He is an 800-meter athlete. Speaking of 800-meter runners, you can't. I can't wait. I'm not going to divulge his name just yet, but you'll have to listen out for week two of Runners Radio. Thanks so much, guys.